it goes beyond that simple equation of return on investment. It becomes a return on community equation for me. And we need multiple people to be involved to do that. So it just demands it. So it's worth every effort and energy that you have to work through those trust issues, to work through those conflict issues, to achieve an outcome together. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. If you listened to the very first episode of this show, the name Todd Knuckles and part of the following story might sound familiar. When I first moved to the US eight years ago, Todd was one of the very first people I met. We met up at a co-working space called 804RVA and I asked him how to get involved in Richmond's entrepreneurship scene. Without hesitation, he pulled out his metaphorical Rolodex and generously opened up his network to me. To top it all off, he invited me to attend a conference in New York City with him that got me in the same room for two days with some of the world's most renowned startup accelerators. Todd's rich social capital and the generosity with which he meets people are only two of the reasons I knew I couldn't produce this season without him on the show. Todd, like me, is not keen on confrontation and conflict, yet he has managed it masterfully as a keystone in Richmond's entrepreneurial ecosystem. A little disclaimer, we had some audio issues with this episode, but trust me that the content is worth suffering through some of the distortions. Let's talk to Todd and find out how he invests in the lives of founders. Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. I pulled you out of retirement to <laughs> talk to us about yeah, social capital and managing conflict and building trust. But before we dive in and we'll talk more about this, if I were to come to your community, be it the current one north of Atlanta or Richmond, Virginia, your old stopping grounds, where would you take us so that we could get a good sense and taste and flavor of your community? Sure. In terms of my move to northern uh, Atlanta, uh, just, uh, just before COVID set in for about two and a half years, so the only place I could take you was probably my office because that's pretty much where I hang out and uh, exclusively maneuver. Uh, so not much insight there. But ultimately back uh, where I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, um, it's an interesting question. I think I would take you maybe to an urban farmhouse um, in Scott's edition there in Richmond. Uh, certainly maybe bottoms up pizza. <laughs> Uh, for some pizza down uh, in, in Shaco Bottom. Uh, definitely look at those two, two places as places of interest. And I would probably uh, want to go visit the Tredegar Ironworks. There's an, a remarkable uh, conversation about uh, the Black experience and the Civil War and their contributions there mm -hmm. in a museum there. And, you know, Richmond has a checkered history with its past, obviously, in that regard. And I was just very impressed 
by how that story is told and, and honored uh, in that way. So there's a couple of places we could go hang out and eat and have some, some time together in another place where we could learn about uh, the history surrounding Richmond, which is steeped in history in a more positive way. Cool. Awesome. Todd, for context for everyone here, um, you are one of the co-founders of Lighthouse Labs in Richmond, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary this, Unbelievable. this year or next year? I don't even remember. <laughs> no, it's this year. Yeah. This year. So I, I feel like I feel a little bit old, but we go back a long time and you're, not, you're not actually an active ecosystem builder north of Atlanta right now, but you're still involved with Lighthouse Labs. You're still on the board. For you sure. still work with founders. Tell me a little bit more of what was that transition like of being an active ecosystem builder? You were such a keystone in the Richmond startup communities. And then you moved away to have a job, to be with your family, to start a new chapter. Talk to me a little bit about that transition. Sure. Um, you know, it's challenging. It was challenging for sure. For me, it was a first move from Richmond, Virginia, period. So uh, for those that don't know me, you're talking to a 50-something-year-old uh, person. And uh, I lived in Richmond and my immediate family in Richmond all of my life. So really a, a remarkable transition just in and of itself to be in a different city uh, and a different location and away from that family infrastructure on a day-to-day -day basis. So there were challenges there. But in terms of the ecosystem work, I still dabble a little bit on the side and certainly try to stay as active as I can with Lighthouse from a remote perspective. But um, it was, I would say it was bittersweet. It was sweet in the sense that uh, I feel like uh, organizational change is necessary from time to time uh, to get fresh ideas and fresh conversations into the leadership structure is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was painful to not be pursuing that because when you're in a position and what Lighthouse prides itself as investing in the lives of founders. When you're changing lives and you're investing in people in that way, it's obviously tremendously re rewarding. And uh, don't tell my current company, maybe a little bit more rewarding than what I'm doing right now as a chief technology <laughs> officer. But ultimately, uh, I think change was necessary for growth in Lighthouse. And that's really what I wanted to see, more impact and sustained impact. So to leave a legacy is just feels amazing. Um, and just, uh, you were part of that very much an active part of lighthouse. And to think about that as our legacy, not just mine, but yours as well. And the fingerprints you left on it, uh, is, is tremendously rewarding. So I, I look at everything as gain and, uh, try not to mourn the losses too much. All right. I have always admired that about you. You have moved through <laughs> this transition with so much grace that I, I really admire Todd. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is, as I mentioned earlier, you were always a keystone in the startup community in Richmond. And one of the things I've always admired is you have your beliefs, you know what's right, you know what needs to happen, but you have this amazing ability to bring everybody along. And even people who wouldn't typically play nice, who wouldn't maybe even talk together, who certainly didn't want to collaborate, and yet somehow... I don't know how you got them on the same page with that mission of investing in the lives of founders. We all do what we can to support that mission. And I'm hoping to learn how in the world you do that. Um, so my first question is, 
there has been conflict. There's conflict in every ecosystem. There's so many people like trying to stir the pot and everybody thinks they have it figured out. Can you take us back to a situation where there was conflict in the ecosystem and sort of what was at stake, who was involved, what was the conflict about? Even the very inception of Lighthouse was a moment of conflict. So uh, at one point uh, from an ecosystem perspective, you know, you always have multiple players involved. Mm -hmm. And the concept of, of starting an accelerator uh, was starting to be discussed. And, you know, I was in a world doing that. Other uh, partners in the region were considering their own offerings. And Lily was in a conversation where myself and my co-founder uh, were told, don't go do this. Wow. Like, literally told directly by another organization who felt they had the right uh, uh, to actually do that as opposed to how we were going about it. Um, and ultimately, there's immense conflict. That organization ultimately became a vocal supporter uh, and proponent of Lighthouse uh, through the transition. And I think, you know, really what it boiled down to is between those two organizations, and I'm not going to name them here because it's not uh, germane to the conversation, but really it's about your simplicity of vision, right? Being able to just communicate at a level that's beyond your individual need or your individual desire and trying to ultimately look for the common good. So at Lighthouse, is about investing in the lives of founders. It was very simple and straightforward. And we felt we had an ingredient to that. And this other organization felt they had a different approach to that. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we both tried, actually, almost in parallel. And uh, Lighthouse is the, the program that continued to endure. And, and the other organization actually ended up joining us and combining resources and making Lighthouse better. But you have to let people be willing to, in conflict, choose their path. And you can't hold bitterness and resentment towards that. Uh, just go produce and do what you can do. Keep your vision simple and continue to keep open arms uh, with all that are involved because you never know what's going to happen. And ultimately, they became great partners and advocates, even though we had had a conversation where literally it was, you should not do what you're doing straight out of the gate. And um, that was definitely an interesting moment to sit in a room and hear that. But uh, you can't be discouraged uh, and you have to continue to build a framework where people can collaborate uh, regardless of their particular differences in terms of their approach or execution. So I've shared this on earlier conversations on the show that if someone tells me don't do that, I am personally offended. I take everything very personally and I will never speak to you again. And how dare you talk <laughs> to me like that and try to tell me what I can, I can't do. Um, obviously, you're a little bit more mature than me, uh, a lot. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> so in hindsight, we know how this situation evolved and, and how the resources came together. But take me back to that moment in that room. How do you, how do you respond to someone saying to your face, you shouldn't be doing this? <laughs> um. You know, it, 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 it's devastating to hear that, uh, obviously. Um, as a side note, before I answer that question, I will say, uh, not to delve too deeply into my myself, my own journey. Faith is a part of my journey. But ultimately, I think in any conflict, understand or any endeavor, understand that the success or the failure of the endeavor you might be in does not identify you. 
you're not identified by that. So you need to be your, your identity is outside of a particular success or failure. And when you can come to that kind of realization, I think it helps with that personalization effect where you can say, well, look, this isn't about me and my personal success or failure, but you're potentially jeopardizing something that could be a very successful endeavor. And that's unfortunate, but it's not something that I have to internalize. But in that particular moment in that conversation, Fortunately for us, we had already laid the groundwork through other partnerships that we were going to go do what we were going to do regardless. So there was a simple response was, I'm sorry to hear that. We're going to be moving forward. The train has left the station. So I was in a position to just respond with the affirmative that we have to do what we're called to do in this conversation. And and be able to do that in that moment and also say, but I still would love to find an opportunity for us to mutually support each other in our work because at the end of the day, we want to see others succeed. And this is not about our personal success or failure in this equation. And I think both organizations held that as kind of a overriding belief or tenant. And so you could draw on that commonality and still find a way forward. Hey there. While we're chatting about all things ecosystem building, I wanted to invite you over to socialadventurers.com, where you can find even more content and insights into what we're talking about. And if you want to be the first one to hear about new episodes, get some behind the scenes content, and you could use a heartfelt reminder that what you do matters, sign up for Impact Curator. Impact Curator is my curated love letter to our community that hits your inbox every two weeks. And now back to the show. So one of the things I have learned throughout the season is for trust and collaboration, we don't always have to agree. We don't have to agree on this one single truth. And it's not this tug of war about I'm right or I'm right or you're right. It, what I'm coming to learn is, okay, you hold your truth over there. We hold ours here. Let us move forward with the best of intentions. And like you say, keep the conversation going to see where we are maybe six months from now or six years from now to see what we can do. Clearly, but let's face it, our environment that we're in politically, from a social media platform perspective, all of the things that you hear and read about want to polarize. Yeah. And so to lean into a place of common ground is by itself difficult and is a bit counterculture right now. And that's unfortunate. But I think you need to find that pathway. I used to be fond of saying uh, entrepreneurship is the only, from a political perspective, cross-all thing we can agree on. We want to see more successful businesses and business owners, I think, <laughs> even in our political environment. So we're already aligned to a cause that can draw us to a higher point of conversation in terms of collective benefit to the community. So just continue to draw on that theme. Uh, and not get too bogged down in the details. Another thing that I would always take with me was something I learned, and I, I can't attribute it to the source. I was at a conference at one point, and it was a chief negotiator for the CIA. It was, anyway, just high-level negotiations. And he opened the entire, his entire talk by saying, no, it's just a, surprising, it's just a response to a, a surprising question. Ooh. And it's never a final response. It's a, a little akin to, I, I think it's Mark Cuban who says, you know, I only hear yes. You know, when I, hear, when I hear no, I only hear yes. I may be attributing that wrong as well. But ultimately, um, 
don't take uh, early rejection as long-term rejection and still try to draw people into a conversation that's beyond ourselves and beyond our individual win-loss at the table. And I think you can find common ground. Do you recall how much time roughly passed between that conversation and actually the the, the tides shifting and, and getting people getting on the same page and wanting to be part or support of Lighthouse Maps? Yeah, I, I can. <laughs> Absolutely. In the, in the case of that particular partner and that particular conversation, uh, it would be a full year and we had to go through our full kind of pilot program mm -hmm. uh, before we could compare notes again uh, successfully and bridge the gap to what would become kind of the next program at Lighthouse where both organizations participated uh, significantly. So it was a bit of a journey there. And I would hike, hearken back to another conflict, if you're interested. Of course. Uh, in the Lighthouse journey originally. And now Lighthouse currently, for people out there, is a nonprofit organization. We do not take equity from founders. But a lot of, excess, a lot of accelerators at the time when we were starting did so. They would take 8% for financing that was part of the acceleration. So we had originally announced that that's what our model was going to be. And I had backed, had some partners that were backing that. And we announced it on stage and I walked down the next day uh, to meet with my partners about arranging that financing and how it was actually going to play out. We were sitting in a Panera, can remember distinctly. And I sat down at the table and I'm all excited and my, my would-be partner at the time looked me dead in the eye and said, we're out. Two words, we're out. And I was like, what do you mean we're out? Like you're, um, you're out of this thing, you're out, and he said, no, we're out. I'm walking away. And that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> and wow. so it took a whole year. It took a whole year to recover. Hey, but joy in the journey because we ended up recovering to that nonprofit model that I think served the community platform much better and allowed us to eliminate a lot of the conflict that would have existed had we been in an equity taking position and really built the legacy that Lighthouse is. And that's because another partner came to the table and was willing to take that journey with us. And it took a whole year plus to reset that entire conversation. And, and obviously that was a drawback. So there you have two, and then that, after that conversation was reset, that's when that other partner conversation happened. So you had over two years before we got these partners back aligned and lighthouse to where it was as an organization in terms of its inception. And so it was quite a journey. It sounds super long, and I'm sure it was hard at the time, but in the grand scheme of things, what is one year or two over the span of, you know, 10 years and hopefully 50 years at some point when you can take the time to be deliberate about building those relationships and building the trust and finding the right partners? That's right. And it is a, it is an in, a process of intentionality. And the other thing is when dealing with conflict, at least for me personally, you have to know your your irreducible core. You know, what are the truths that you can, you're closed handed about? You cannot give up. What are those principal options? And in those cases, you do find yourself walking away from a table or walking away from opportunity. But I think you'll find if you think about, if you think through what you're doing in any endeavor, there should be a pretty limited set of things and everything else you should be open handed about. And you should be looking to compromise so that you can achieve your overall objective. Because if you're not in a position to compromise, all you will find is conflict and likely you will not find success. 
But it's a very thin line sometimes, isn't it, about how how much are you willing to to compromise until it becomes a thing that you don't recognize anymore? And you're like, I thought we were going to do this, and now after all this compromise, it has morphed into this completely different thing, and I don't want to do it anymore. Or it's not what I set out to do. How do you balance? How do you how do you navigate that that narrow path? Yeah, again, that's why that core matters. What you're holding closely. Uh, identifying that, but identifying it specifically and as narrowly as possible. If you can know that up front, then you know going in where you can compromise, where your edges may be. And ultimately, there's a lot in the edges. So for me, for Lighthouse and my co-founder, the core was investing in the life of a founder. So not getting wrapped up in the financial components of that, not getting wrapped up in whether that particular founder was at a certain position or place on the founder journey, uh, but coming alongside and providing the resources that we could because we wanted to invest in their lives. So things that would take us away, and I would even tell my team once my team was established, if you can answer the question that this helps the life of a founder, then we're probably already making a good decision. And if you cannot, we are not. And so the same thing as we talk to partners, if we saw partners or certain mentors that basically railed against that. It might be more about their own centric ego or their own centric um, mission or purpose. Then that's when you have to kind of really draw a line and conflict may turn into separation. But ultimately, that's a pretty reduced core. It was just one core attribute for us, if you think about it. And there was a lot of wiggle room in how to produce those services and value for those founders. And so they gave us a lot to compromise around. Did you ever have to fire a, a board member, a mentor, a partner, a founder? Uh, I'm not the right temperament for that. Um, so maybe maybe we should have in certain cases, but it's not my MO. Um, call me conflict avoider 101. But uh, what I would try to do is is find an alternate path for success always. And so no, never in a position where I felt like we had to to fire someone for the task. But there are ways to subtly de-emphasize uh, people's roles, change their value propositions, and still have a, a combined win at the table. That's what we would look for predominantly. Do you have a specific example that comes to mind for this? There are a few cases where um, we had mentors in particular that were more concerned about their role or future position with a founder and making that founder uncomfortable in their experience. We had to go to those mentors and tell them that's an inappropriate behavior. But look, we aligned that expectation up front. So again, that was easy to do uh, in that case. And it didn't really even turn into a firing. It turned into, can you adjust your expectation with this? And normally they would and be able to find a pathway forward. But clearly there, there, there were those interpersonal moments where you just had to take action on behalf of the founder, uh, because you had put them actually in an awkward situation by introducing them to someone who might be looking to take advantage of the situation. I think this is going to resonate with a lot of ecosystem builders, especially those who work in accelerators, who have mentor networks, who they incubators and whatnot. So for sure. Thank you for sharing. I'm, I'm really excited about this next question, and I worry it is something that you do so naturally that you're not going to have a specific answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. In ecosystem building, when it comes to collaboration, I believe we need this general foundation of trusting each other so that I will 
see your vision. I'm willing to collaborate. I'm, I'm willing to come on that journey with you. I have always felt like that you did an extraordinary job of building that trust um, among board members, among partners in the community. How do you build trust, Todd Knuckles? Uh, some of it is interpersonal, but I would say my core answer is um, trust is earned. So uh, focus on delivery. So if you, if you say you're going to do something, do it. And that can start to build trust. And so what that means is in order to establish good trust, you have to have a good understanding of how to create wins for everyone at the table. And you have to identify those wins in a measurable or tangible way and be able to report those wins and focus on them so that people do feel like uh, they are heard and trusted in the conversation. So you have to establish that expectation framework. I can't say that enough. You know, I, my own expectation for collaboration was hold on to that one core value. Everything else is open-handed. My core um, note on trust is likewise, you know, establish a framework where people can win, show them the win, and they will trust you. Thank you. That was actually maybe that's too simplistic. Maybe that fits the bill or doesn't. But I, you know, it's uh, and look, it, it, it's tough because you can't all, you know, you can't always deliver what everyone wants. So, you know, saying it is easy, doing it is something quite different. One hundred percent. And something that stood out to me, what you just said, is you know, find something that is a win for everybody can be so hard to do because people have their own expectations and everybody wants something else out of it. As they should. I mean, that's human motivation. But finding that common denominator can be so incredibly hard. Yeah, no, it's it, like I said, and saying it's easy, um, implementing can, can be truly challenging. And look, there, there are opportunities where uh, trust will erode, and that's unfortunate. I think as long as uh, you've maintained your personal integrity and tried to be transparent, um, one of the other things that I tried to focus on, even personally, is be transparent in failure and when you let others down, because that can also build trust. Look, I set this up to be a win between the two of us. It wasn't. I'm sorry for the role I played in that. That doesn't mean that person is going to automatically restore trust with you, but at least there's a framework for trust to be restored. And so I think you do have to own your failure as much as you create win opportunities and highlight them. And both sides of those, that equation play into trust. Yes. I feel this deeply because I, something you've always been good at is being very open and honest. And something you said earlier of it is not about you. It is not about your ego or what you're trying to achieve. So you've had this really healthy distance to here's something that happened. I take full responsibility for my part in what happened. And I'm sorry it happened that way. How can we move forward? I think that is a really good when nothing else goes, when when the train has left the station and the conflict is there, I think that's a really good strategy to figure out and sort of rein in your personal emotions that you may have about what happened and just frame it as something that happened and everybody had a part in. It's incredibly challenging. It's so hard. Why do you do it anyway? Why do you do it anyway? Why do I do it anyway? <laughs> um, look, uh, the journey is better together. So uh, don't you want to be uh, in relationship and at scale, particularly for Lighthouse, for accelerators, there's no alternative to me. 
an accelerator as community is the only option. Again, that's not true. <laughs> Obviously, you can have investors, self-finance accelerators, find great success for founders in their portfolio and valuation. But when we're trying to build community and impact lives, it goes beyond um, that simple equation of return on investment. It becomes a return on community equation for me. And we need multiple people to be involved to do that. So it just demands it. So it's worth every effort and energy that you have to work through those trust issues, to work through those conflict issues, to achieve an outcome together. <laughs> so hard it to not? figure out where to go from here. No, it's wonderful. But <laughs> how do I get to the next question? Um, so you talk about you have this gift of hindsight, the conflict. The, the first conflict you talked about was probably 10 or more years ago. But yes. when you are in times of intense conflict, of, of people who care, people who want to be heard and seen, and, and you're trying to sort of make all the pieces fit and bring everybody on that same page, when it gets too much, I know you're not the kind of person who will just go to the bar and drown their sorrows, but what is, <laughs> no. what is a good coping mechanism for you to decompress, to recenter yourself, to sort of strip some of that emotion and, and find back to, you know, the, the core and the true mission of what you're trying to do. How do you manage that for yourself? Sure. I used to even tell founders this in terms of dealing with burnout and stress in terms of just the founding experience, but have someone that's disconnected from the entire reality that is a, a resource for you to just kind of vent and talk and process your emotion and feelings, but not someone who's immediately plugged in to that same environment. Uh, so they're either turning around that uh, unexpectedly or maybe all they can do is listen because they can't really comment because they're not engaged. I think that's, you know, for me, that's that's often family. And, and for me, Jamie, of course, provides an outlet there, my my wife. And uh, but, you know, I would even talk out loud to my daughters, whatever. And they had no idea what I was doing. But I mean, just just processing things with individuals who may not have as much vested or who can see it from 50,000 feet where you may be mired in it, I think can be very helpful to that process of uh, dealing with frustration and certainly uh, they do exist. And then of course, returning to that core principle and trying not to wrap up the success or failure of a particular endeavor as your personal definition of success and failure, who you are as a person, I think helps with that uh, again. Sound advice. Thank you. As I mentioned earlier, you are still somewhat involved with Lighthouse Labs, but obviously you live many states away. What does the future hold in terms of top knuckles, entrepreneurship, startups, community building? I feel like it's something that is so part of who you are that no matter what job you do and when you do it, you're going to find a way to somehow stay involved. Where do you see that going over the next few years? Yeah, you know, one of the primary issues with, with Lighthouse uh, that I think, you know, we still need to address more systemically as a community is access to capital issues overall. And so I am actually doing some side work uh, around uh, faith community and how it might be able to participate in that conversation in terms of building uh, community assets around it. And so I, I still think there's, there's area to explore there. I would love to be in a, a financially independent position to be able to dive into that question a little bit with a little bit more earnest. But uh, right now, uh, I have a little bit going on on the side there and hope to continue to play as active a role as I can in Lighthouse and continue to see to its maturation. 
but uh, ultimately, yeah, it's it's in the blood, and uh, hopefully, you know, be able to find a pathway forward and and continue to contribute to that conversation um, in the years to come. Awesome. I I hope you find a way to do that because I have always believed that Richmond and especially Lighthouse Labs and the community surrounding this accelerator is so lucky to have you. And I'm glad to see that you're staying involved, even though you don't technically live in Richmond anymore. Thank you so much, Todd. This was delightful. It was. As the pleasure was all mine. Uh, I'd rather spend the time interviewing you because I think you're the more <laughs> fascinating person here at the table. But um, uh, I will never forget us meeting at 804 RVA and within weeks uh, forming a relationship that lasts to this day, your participation in Lighthouse. Uh, you've been an inspiration to me as well on this journey. I think you handle and navigate conflict and uh, community with great character and dignity. So I wish you the best in what you're doing, but uh, it's obviously a pleasure to to be involved in uh, in your efforts in whatever way possible. So never hesitate to ask. Thank you. Find out more about Lighthouse Labs at lighthouselabsrva.com and connect with Todd Knuckles on LinkedIn. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Setula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.